from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Okay. Well, that's a perfect way to begin, James. Uh, I'm Fender Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined by James A. James and our chief creative officer, Tom Campbell. Hello, hello. I just have to interrupt for anyone watching. I, it's, it's hard to find someone to trim your beard these days. So I'm feeling very grizzly Adams, a little unkempt. I apologize. You look like Blake Jacobs. You, you, two, you two are two peas in a pod. I got to tell you, I love your beard. But once I've seen one beard, it's like beard. I don't see the differences in the beard. It's you know, beard. It's like the gradations. Beard. In it's the, good, the to know. good to know. Yeah. I feel like it's a little sharper. It gives me a little bit more of a definition. I feel a little, a little blousey. Ah, I see. You don't need to use smoke and mirrors, darling. God bless you. It's been a while since we've been in person. We uh, are here counting down the top 10 things of the past week that made us go, wow. 10. Number 10. As I'm putting together my list of things to talk about, and I want to keep it light, and I want to keep it pop culture, but I have to say what's been looming on my mind and my brain and my soul has been this Supreme Court leak that it would appear that Roe versus Wade is about to be overturned. And I don't want to bring us way down, and I'm not being self-righteous. It's Abortion is a very delicate topic that can't be, you know, broad-stroked in some ways. But it's like, for all of those people who listened to this show, who felt uh, uh, during the Trump years, who felt like, who, who called us out for being too political and too strident and too this and too that, this is what we were afraid of. I am not surprised that Roe versus Wade is about to be overturned in the Supreme Court because that was the plan. And that's why we wanted you to vote for Hillary. And, you know, swallow your pride and vote for the flawed Hillary. That's on and on and on. And and it's not an I told you so. It's just, can we learn from this moment? I don't know. We, you know... I th- you know what we can learn, Tom, is how these people lied in their confirmation hearings. Yeah. Blatantly lied. I mean, I already had a low opinion of, um, what is his name? Brett Kavanaugh. Thank you. The, the weird thing to me was that as it was happening, was at the exact same time that the Met Gala was going on. And I was live tweeting that. And I the whole world seemed to be in this sort of, like we were watching this Hunger Games spectacle unfold yes. about the rich, uh, the rich being you know above us in the Gilded Age, and uh, the idea of like celebrity just sort of like trumping all. And then the and as my Twitter feed started to shift about two thirds of the way in, the juxtaposition of the real world versus this this gaudy circus and bread spectacle it just it reminded me of the fall of rome is what it's uh where there's just there's these distractions these bright shiny objects and then the real shit that's going down and it just gave me whiplash the which whole it, it, it's how it's stuff. affected me in terms of picking topics this week and again not that this but like it, and I think of things like World War II, wasn't around for it, but a student of World War II and how pop culture provided a little bit of propaganda for World War II. But it was really, you know, during the wars, during Vietnam, you know, the biggest show was Bewitched. Like, we like to, you know, we need light things. We need to keep the spirit. We need to keep joy and art and music and laughter and stuff alive. But I agree with you, James. It's like there's all there's a way to handle it. And then there's a way to just look tone deaf and like you're ignoring it. Yeah. It wasn't like they could just stop the Met Ball, right, in its tracks. No, 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 no. But but the the fact that the the two leading trending topics on Twitter mm. were abortion rights being decimated and Kim should Kim Kardashian wear Marilyn Monroe's dress? It's like, like I know we can put we can have two discussions in our head at the same time, but the d- disparity between the one and the t'other is so but great. This, isn't the Met Gala, and again, I hate, to your point, James, people are like, how can you be laughing about this when there's people starving in Africa? I get that we have to do both, but the Met Gala is kind of gross now. 
since always he's disgusting. Through COVID. It's, it and, is and, just the most vulgar display of, of couldn't celebrity. They, couldn't they do it for a charity at the very least? Couldn't no, but the some... charity is Maybe for they the do, costume they? benefit. It's not for saving world hunger. It's for rich people to be able to continue to attend the gala. Right. So there's something about when the richest people get together and hog all the attention of the world during these times, what can they do that, to help us? And it doesn't have to even be controversial. It could be helping. And, and, and um, anyway. Right. Well, it makes, yes, I guess they could, they could now do something or pivot or do something. You know, I was thinking about the Balenciaga fashion show, you know, at the very outset of the Russia-Ukraine war and how they completely changed the show and they did it in a snowstorm and people were carrying black plastic bags it was kind of but by the same token then we had spoken earlier this this month about how uh you know putting a blue dress and a yellow dress up on your instagram to show your support for ukraine is also sort of fatuous and right well okay i tell you what we're not going to resolve this right now no move on to mine which is not fatuous at all Yes, we can move on, but I have to get that. Out. Thank you. I know. No, it is. It is. In, once again, it's just very dark times, and all you can do is just keep voting blue. You just right. need, we need to just keep on voting and don't lose sight of the prize. You know. I know we're moving on, but I also have to say I don't understand how they can launch an investigation into this leak and yet not have done anything about the. Um, Thomas Clarence's wife and his wife. Yeah, yeah, and also it seemed too, and this is something else that the um, Madison Cawthorn tape that came out last night. I don't know if you had a chance to watch it. What? You haven't watched it? Madison Cawthorn in bed with his cousin, his male cousin, and it's you see him thrusting his 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 penis into his face, and it's it's a full on sex tape. We are just losing our entire audience because they're all rushing to look at that tape. Yeah, no, it it is not something you need to see. Trust me, it is. It it will literally put you off your dinner for the rest of the the month. I swear to God, it is one of the most vile, and it's it's done in a very (laughs) frat boy way, where he's naked on top of his face, thrusting at him. I'll be right back in a few minutes, James. You're up number nine. Well, no, I, I, I just wanted to say that I have a feeling that the Democrats are, you know, destroying, I mean, not the Democrats, the Republicans are destroying Madison Cawthorn and that they keep leaking this stuff as a distraction, possibly, from the Ginny and uh, all the other things that are happening. Well, that's very complicated. That, that, yeah. that takes masterminding that I don't believe they're really capable of, to be honest. But James, are you going to give us number nine? I suppose I will. Number nine. I watched the White Hot Abercrombie & Fitch documentary on Netflix, and it is a roller coaster of the nth degree. It is absolutely riveting. (gasps) Um, The first part is the incredible rise of Abercrombie & Fitch in the late 90s, early 2000s, when it was ubiquitous. And they had the, you know, the shirtless men in front of the stores, and they had the magazine with the Bruce Weber and the homoerotic imagery. And you'd go in the store and it'd be the, you know, like it smelled, they would pump in the cologne through the ventilation system and the loud music, everything. And it was done, as Fenton pointed out to me, you know, it was a Trojan horse. It was a Trojan horse to get gay aesthetics, gay homoerotic aesthetics into, uh, sell it to a white, straight, waspy, preppy jock in the Midwest. And they ate it up. They all ate it up. And it was something that, like, there was something for everyone. The little girls loved it. The gays loved it. The jocks themselves wanted to be those naked boys frolicking around with each other. I mean, it was so bizarre, this weird, I mean, it was like, it was like softcore gay porn, but like everybody bought into it and everyone loved it. And they loved it so much that it 
skyrocketed in a way that very few brands have ever skyrocketed before. I'm going to interrupt you for two seconds. You'll continue. To me, it's it's that part of it, and that's the only part I watch. It's the it's the um, age old uh, uh, thing of sex sells, and they found a different way to sell it. They found, they, yeah, and, but they found gay sex cells. Like, for some reason, like, out of the, for the first time in history, like, gay sex was what we were selling, and everyone bought it, and it was interesting. But the second half of it, it deals with the blatant racism behind the brand, and the, um, you know, that it was selling white upper class prep school wasps. And that was the image, and it was exclusivity. It was about it was about those types of boys. It was white, 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 white. I interrupt you again and say, and how does that differ from the history of Ralph Lauren? Lauren. Well, exactly, uh, James. Just one second, because Bruce Webber had been doing that kind of work for a long time. You know, early '91 was when he put Marky Mark on the cover of Interview. Calvin Klein was doing it. So yeah, it's interesting but, but what because they the were doing is they were selling really they, change. You know? They were selling to an exclusive audience. They were selling to the elite, whereas this was bringing it to the masses. And it's a very different thing when you're bring instead of targeting Upper East Side, you know, people as opposed to targeting college kids in Illinois. It's it's a very different thing. Now the the way they hired people, you know, they had the models, the models who worked the floor, and the uh, had Aryan youth, Aryan youth. Basically, yes, there was a great uh, interview subject. There was a, a a black girl, just beautiful model, 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 and she was just beautiful. I believe and, her name was Carol. Yeah, and she kept saying how she wanted. Um, day shifts and they wouldn't give her any day shifts to work the floor. And she kept, she said, well, I have a friend who's willing to, to switch with me. And they kept saying, Oh no, switchies. No, you can't switch. You can't switch. You can't switch. And finally, um, after a number of, of weeks of this, she went to the manager and said, I really need day shifts. And he said, you know, you're so good at washing windows though. Like, like, Siri just said it's nice to be appreciated. <laughs> She's chatting to me over there. Um, but but the fact that like the black girl was only brought in because she washed the windows. I mean, you know, it had a class lawsuit. Horrendous. And I think Abercrombie and Fitch, because they're the most popular and the most blatant and the most effective, um, definitely hold a lot of responsibility. But I feel like Thank God in the last 20 years, there's been a lot of improvement, not total improvement, but a lot of improvement of ad campaigns uh, and, yeah. and and things being much more inclusive in terms of skin color, in terms of body type. That is a day that's 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 come about. Well, upon. interestingly, you know, because because they would hire black and Asians and other non-white people and put them in the back work, make them work in the workroom. And um, even when they brought on a diversity uh manager to to take care of everything it still didn't change but when you look at how it affected american eagle and the gap and and everybody else they all became some of the most inclusive places to work in on on the planet and you're right it did help change the culture and it all goes back up to um the ceo who was so creepy and so disturbing my jeffries yeah, Mike Jeffries and Bruce Weber, who <laughs> would have these, you know, with the male models, we're going to sit in a tent naked and do breathing exercises. And I mean, the just sort of the sexual weirdness and abuse. And, and it reminds me of the Wow Report retreat that we never had. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's just a fascinating documentary. And the music is all that 1998 to 2003. It's so it takes you right back there. It's so good. It's What's a scary home. is that was twenty five years ago. That's what's scary about the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> White hot: the rise and fall of Abercrombie and Fitch, streaming on Netflix. Number eight. Number eight. I'm a little late to this. I have to admit because I thought I've got a, such a great item to talk about, and the item I want to talk about is 
S is for scam. My question is, why are scam stories suddenly so popular? And then I did a little Googling and there was an article in The Guardian like three years ago saying, we are now a peak scam in the trend. Why, you know, scam stories are trending. So I guess this trend has been going on for a while and I see it continuing for a while. I watched this past week three things. I watched, finally got to Inventing Anna. Uh, your shoes I'm, make me so sad. Why is your face like that? I James, just, uh, a friend of mine says, I speak like Anna. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> so insulted. But then I also like VIP. I kind of like her accent. It's sort I, of an accent I from nowhere. It. It's like Lady Gaga in the House of Gucci. I you love know what it. She does. She doesn't move her tongue when she talks. Your face is so disgusting. I just don't understand. I could listen to you doing this for the rest of the show. I, I, she is the only reason I'm watching it, really. Um, um, I, I, if, if there's not an Emmy for her, I, there is no God. There's no justice. I don't know if I'm going to make it through all nine hours. But then I also watched The Tinder Swindler, um, about the, which I know we've talked about here before. And... Then I watched, started to watch The Invisible Pilot, which is executive produced by Adam McKay, who did Don't Look Up. And it tells the story of a daredevil crop duster in somewhere in Arkansas who faked his own suicide and left his wife and kids and started a whole new life. And then this doc series is about his whole new life, which involved iron culture and drug smuggling and what have you. But it's these three things made me think that all this stuff about identity, you know, people. Well, but I wonder if it's something, if it's very simplistic in that post-Trump, we are telling stories of people who get away with bad behavior and we celebrate them for it. And that's just the world we live in now that we're celebrating these awful people. Right. People are saying that, since the crash in 2008, the sort of selfishness and the sort of by any means necessary has become a sort of modus operandi because the economy is sort of rigged so unfairly against people to be able to get ahead. The idea that the American dream, you know, people just apparently don't really believe in that it, anymore. It's so that. weird that the counterpoint to that is the greed is good a conspicuous consumption ethos of the of the 1980s mm -hmm. which came about for an entirely different reason but the end result is the same where we are you know well or is it james is it a continuation really of that period of yeah. deregulation and that we're just you know ever since reagan sort of took the brakes off and he reagan himself is interesting because he was an actor you know not really a politician not really a leader he was an actor and so I just think in the screen age, we're living in this sort of realm where you've got these different, this sort of disconnection of who you are and who your public self is, which is surely fertile ground for scam artists to get into. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. <laughs> um, let's take a quick break. I just want to say the Queens of RuPaul's Drag Race franchise are coming back, back, back together again at DragCon. Reuniting, spilling all the tea extra special panels hosted by T.S. Madison. Um, and they're going to be called, that's going to be a series on My Presents Plus as well called Bring Back My Girls. But if you're in LA, come get tickets and come to DragCon. That's next weekend, uh, May 13th, 14th, 15th, right? Yep. You can get tickets at RuPaul'sDragCon.com. And I believe all those panels are hosted by House of Love Cocktails and Mocktails, HouseOfLoveCocktails.com. Still waiting on my shipment. <laughs> well, James, you better come to DragCon because there's free tastings at DragCon. <laughs> um, I have a question. What do Kate Bush, Devo, Dionne Warwick, A Tribe Called Quest, The New York Dolls, and MC5 all have in common? Wow. All right. We'll be right back with the answer after the break. You listen to The Wire Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hey, welcome back to the Wow Report for Radio Andy. I'm Fenton, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined by 
James St. James, editor of the Wow Report, and our chief creative officer, Tom Campbell. Cody? Blake, we had a question. Yes. I asked, what do Kate Bush, Devo, Dionne Warwick, A Tribe Called Quest, The New York Dolls, and the MC5 all have in common? I have the answer, I think. I'm going to say they all slept with Joan Collins. Ah! (laughs) Fenton, do you have a guess? In the same night. (laughs) I have no idea. I believe, if I may, that none of them, none of them are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's right. They were all nominated this year and didn't make it, which leads perfectly into number seven, Tom. Number seven. Well, thank you, Blake. Um, uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees for 2022 have been announced. Now, again, in this in this crazy world, uh, who makes it, who doesn't, you know, what's the paradigm? It doesn't really matter, but it's fun to talk about. And the big headline has been Dolly Parton has been inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which I think is fantastic. She at one point was like, was saying, I'm country, don't bother with me. She's since reversed and she's being inducted and she's doing it gracefully great. But I got to tell you, I love Dolly and Dolly deserves all the love in the world. But if it's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you're talking about my youth, my Abercrombie and Fitch years. I am so excited that Pat Benatar has finally been inducted. Uh I mean, from the late 70s or early 80s, she won like the Grammy for Best Rock Performance like three, four, five times in a row. There was she was sort of there was no one in, in her league. And I have to thank Pat directly and personally because I grew up in a small town, Newport, New Hampshire, where everyone listened to Aerosmith and Ario Speedwagon and Sticks in Boston. And, you know, I, you know, my fetish for female vocalists, Pat Benatar was my way in. I could play Pat Benatar on my boom box in the back of the bus that was going to the track meet and not be beaten up by uh, my classmates. You know, it, it's funny. I think I've told you that at my high school, you were either a Pat Benatar or a Belinda Carlisle. There were like the, the, there were those were the two acceptable types of dress for for girls. Yes, but Pat Benatar was a little before the Go Go's. You know, like she she really was a she she, she had an incredible voice, and her husband, of course, uh, Neil Giraldo, who's always yeah. been hot, who was and, so uh, hot. Yeah, I, I, I ran into them at I went to a Sandra Bernhardt uh, performance in L.A. before COVID, and it was at the um, at the Anaheim, and this lovely you know couple in their sixties. You know, she's wearing Crocs and whatever, blah, blah. And it was Pat Benatar and Neil Geraldo. They're just like showing pictures of their granddaughter. I mean, the other people inducted, just for the record, um, you can give me your quick reaction. Duran Duran. I, that was the one I was most excited for. I am a Duran Duran boy. That is my favorite band of the 1980s, bar none. Eminem. Uh, yeah, okay. He okay. deserves it. Eurythmics. Yes, finally. Yes, finally, someone. My God. Richie. Of course. Commodores. You, you can't, you can't. Lionel Richie, when he got his BET award, like Lifetime Achievement Award, he had a long speech that said, you can be rough, you can be hood, you can be all these things, but everybody, everybody, everybody at one point in their life lets down their guard and wants to say three little words. I love you. And that's what Lionel Richie's songs are, which I love. Um, Carly Simon seems overdue. Yes. Goddess of the 70s. Um, Musical Excellence Award to Judas Priest. Not sure. a big fan, but that's okay. And Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, who to me changed the sound of the radio in the 80s yeah, with Janet and everybody else. And then last but not least, these are people who work behind the scenes. Alan Grubin, who's been a big like Springsteen's manager, whatnot. Jimmy Iovine, another record executive and producer. And Sylvia Robinson. Do you remember who, who she is? Mm-hmm. She had that uh, single, this Pillow Talk. <laughs> and she um founded oh, i'm gonna forget now but she found a record label like she um um sugar hill records so she's she's she again a woman a woman of color and she really helped to create uh the music movement of the 70s and 80s and rap and all that kind of thing. i have a question how does this hall of fame work like you get in you get nominated and that means you're in you're an inductee no, you nominated and people vote, I think. And these are the five, the people that they then, voted out of the people that I called out earlier. It's like the Hollywood Press Association. It's bullshit. Uh-huh. But 
it's fun to talk about and it's fun to walk down memory lane and it's fun for some of your favorite artists that moved you to get some kind of acclimation at this point in their career. All right, well, let's, the Rock and Roll's Biggest Night moves back to Los Angeles for the 2022 induction ceremony at the Microsoft Theater, Saturday, November 5th. Number six. Number six. I have become obsessed with Rat in the Kitchen, the reality competition show on TBS. It is a cooking competition show. I do not care for cooking competition yeah. shows. Cooking? I do not care for cooking. I do not care for competition shows. The only one I watch is RuPaul's Drag Race. Thank I, you. I, you know, it is so weird for me that I have fallen into this. Um, but it is so fun. There is a master chef, and there are six contestants. And the six contestants are usually um, broken into groups of two, three groups of two. And one of them is a rat. One of them is out to sabotage the other chefs. And so he is out to do whatever he can to destroy the meals. And you don't know who the rat is. And it's a different group every week. There's a different group of chefs every week. And so they give, um, like, you have... Uh, 60 minutes to create breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or or you're all going to be tied together with a rope, uh, it, but you all have you know you all have to work together to create these three meals using these ingredients, blah 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 blah. And everybody is yelling at everybody, and everybody's watching everybody intensely, and it is so suspenseful, and and it's it's really one of the best done reality show competition things that i've ever seen um uh does it by any chance end with people tasting and going ah yes well that's just it because they have to present the three meals and then um the chef the master chef tastes them and if he likes it he if he says if he likes it he gives it a thumbs up and the 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 um comp- competitors get to keep the money there's like a, a bank of like $20,000 and they get to keep the $20,000. But if he gives it a thumbs down, then 5,000 goes over to the rat's bank. And so by the end, if the rat, if the rat has more money or the bank has more money, but then they all have to decide who they think the rat is. The competitors say, I think it's Joe. I think it's John. I think, and if they're right, they get to keep the money. But if they're wrong, the rat gets to keep the money. And then they reveal the rat and the rat comes forward and says, I turned down all your burners and I switched the sugar for salt. And I did this for that. And like he, he sort of, it, it is, but it's all very good natured and it's fun. And Natasha Leggero is the host. Yes. And she wears a series of Gucci, Dior, Valentino, Balenciaga. She is a diva. I mean, she out RuPaul's RuPaul in the hosting outfit cat. I mean, she comes dressed to kill every time. It is so fun. It is so fabulous. It is not something I would ever, ever watch. But for some reason, I have been like just binging it. Two questions. Do they show the rat doing committing the sabotage as it's happening? No, you just watch everybody in the kitchen as they're working. And everybody is arguing, saying, why the hell did you just put honey when it should have been time? And then someone else says, well, I did it because blah, blah, blah. And then they think, well, could that be the rat? Or, you know, like she was acting off. Someone drops the fries on, on accident. And they're like, well, did you do that on purpose? You know. And the, and the rat is a different person every time, presumably, because when yeah, they yeah, well, there's a whole different cast of of chefs each time. James, and so a, yeah. have you ever guessed the rat? I always guess the rat. I always guess. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but it's just it's fascinating, and there's and I for some now all of a sudden I understand because I am you know so hungry afterwards, and the out everything looks so delicious, and they just make these wonderful. It's just fabulous. I, I hope rat in the kitchen on TVS, right? Rat in the kitchen, yes. I hope on people TVS. don't mix up the sweet and skinny with the rat poison. <laughs> Nine to five reference. Number five. Number five. Rest in perfection, Regine. James, did you ever know Regine? Yes, of course. 
I have been kicked out of regimes more times than you can imagine for it's, not following the dress code. Regine, the young was, people who she is, exactly. I'm just about to get that. Thank All you. Right. Regine, Regine was the, she was a singer, French singer, um, but she's, and she owned and ran a string of nightclubs called Regine's, of course. Um, she was actually born Regina Zilberberg in Belgium. And her big claim to fame before Studio 54 is inventing the discotheque. She says that in her first club, when the music stopped between records, you could hear people making out. It must have been very noisy. It was somewhere in France. So I guess they just really go for it when they make out. <laughs> they had jukebox back, back then in clubs. It was like literally like almost jukebox or a, someone playing record. Yeah. Right. So she installed two turntables and she said she was the first DJ and invented the discotheque. I guess she did. And she was the first person to coin the term discotheque. She called it a discotheque, which had never been done before, too. Well, I met Regine James because I worked in Regine's in London. It was one of my first jobs. Did you? Yes. It opened in the 70s, and um, it was was the roof garden, Bieber, the roof garden, Derry and Tom's on Kensington High Street. And it was gorgeous. It was like peach-tinted mirrors and ashtrays that were like so solid and ostrich feathers and it was just super duper glam it was 70s disco and the song that was like on top of the charts i will survive the quintessential song in fact she even did a cover version of it in french je survivrai I went many times in the 80s during the the whole, I mean, she was very much, Regine's in New York was very fall, 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 Upper East Side. And I remember Billy Norwich from, uh, who did the Uptown Calm, and he would often invite me and he would invite Musto and I, and we would come in outrageous outfits and it was like record scratch. (laughs) Everyone in tuxedo standing around, watching and we would get escorted out every single time well of course because this was when nightclubs were sort of posh right it was a sort of wasn't a sneakers type thing not that you would ever wear sneakers but it was like it was slightly sort of glitzy and a sort of yeah well it was it was very much like string fellows if you remember Mm. sort of it was very like that it was joan collins i know she's a running thread it seems to be but it was very like that that robin leach joan collins it was that sort of upper you know Lifestyles uh, of the Rich and Famous. Donald and Ivana, yes. <clears throat> Regine passed away on Monday, this Monday, at the tender age of 92. It's hard to believe that she was still around because she was. She started <laughs> in the 1950s, you know, and throughout the 60s and 70s, her clubs, She, like you said, she had 10 of them in Beverly Hills. She had them in London. She had them in New York. She had them. Uh, she actually had James. She had twenty three. Twenty three. And uh, but then you know, uh, Bob Colicello was saying that she kind of when Quaaludes and disco really took off, she kind of lost the plot. You know, the Studio Fifty Four sort of kind of overtook her brand in a way. I mean, even though Studio Fifty Four didn't last long, but I think she belonged to that old fashioned the Stringfellows era after that point. Yeah, but but she did have a, there was a comeback because Regine's was basically, if you followed Susie in, in, you know, I mean, that's where everybody ended up after the philanthropic galas and the balls of the Upper East Side and everything. It was, I mean, it was, it was a scene. It was a definite scene for an older type of person. It was, it was a, it was a moment in time. Pre-order any House of Love cocktails, mocktails, viewing party packs at houseoflovecocktails.com and receive 30 days of our all-access pass featuring exclusive access to Wow Presents Plus premium sneak peeks, curated playlists, and watch lists never before seen, RuPaul's Drag Race photos, and more. Pre-orders are now open and expected to ship the week of May 16th. You can also get your merch on the site. So that's houseoflovecocktails.com. And I definitely recommend the Rainbow Strike Tidy Whities. <laughs> All right, I've we're going to take a quick break. Blake, I've got, got one questions? more question. Yep. Who just released a memoir and also announced they'd be reprising their most famous role from a 1988 movie? 
All right, we'll have the answer for you right after the break. This is The Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to The Wow Report for Radio Andy. I'm Fenton here with James and Tom and Blake. Yep, and I asked, who just released a memoir and also announced they'd be reprising their most famous role from a 1988 movie? Well, I'm going to say it's Mayor Winningham. Mm. Val Kilmer, maybe. Tom. Tom Cruise. Jennifer Grey. Yes, of course. What What is she doing? She's going to be reprising her role as Baby in the new dancing, Dirty Dancing movie. Why we need another, I don't know. But Wait a minute. It's like 40, uh, like, what year is it going to be? Like the 90s or something? Because wasn't it set in the 50s? Yes, yeah, he said it. Regimes. Yeah. <laughs> There's no IP like old IP, right? Old IP never goes out of style. Exactly. Number four. <laughs> Number four. Well, we've already done a rest in peace uh, this week, and there seems to be so many great superstars passing on to the next realm. But I was incredibly moved. I don't know about you guys about the passing of Naomi Judd. Oh. And this is how the news came out. You know, I'm from New Hampshire, and I said, wherever there's an AM station and a pickup truck, there is country music. I grew up listening to country music. I have dipped into, you know, I don't always have my radio set to country music, but I listened to it a lot throughout the years. In the 80s, you could not escape, and you, nor did you want to escape the beautiful sounds of the Judds. You know, Winona, obviously the vocalist of the group, but the blend of their harmonies, the mother and daughter, the most successful mother-daughter ever. And, you know... With all that came all the speculation because Naomi was the skinny one. The mother was the pretty one, you know, Winona, whatever. And then there's the daughter, Ashley, who became the huge movie star. And then, you know, Naomi got hepatitis C and was open about it. That's the thing about the judge. They've always been incredibly open about what they're going through. And they, they, they broke up, I think, in 91. They had a farewell tour. And, you know, thank God Naomi got better. She hosted shows. She did a lot of things. She was just a present. And I say this with love. Naomi is a drag queen. Winona is a drag queen. Like they, they deliver so much beauty and opulence. And just a few weeks ago on the country music awards, they were there. They were about to be uh, uh, indoctrinated into the country music hall of fame. And they had this beautiful outdoor concert where they were in blue and uh, Naomi had a wig that would make the B-52s jealous. And they sang together. Love will build, you know, love can build a bridge. One of their huge songs is so simple and beautiful again, these terrible times. And I watched that again and again when it was released by the dot, by, by um, Ashley, that their mother had died by mental illness. And it has been confirmed that she took her own life. And I thought that was sort of a profound, I'd never heard anyone say it that way. And it was kind of a profound way to um, express that. And it was, she, she, it was announced the day before and she, I think she, 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 she committed suicide the day before she, um, they were going to be indoctrinated into the, into, the, into the country hall of fame and Ashley and Winona showed up and took it, received the award in their mother's yeah, memory. I mean, such a brave act. Yeah. When they, when they came on stage, um, it, y- you never know what someone, how, if someone is suffering, you never know what goes on behind the facade. It's, um, and she she talked. Uh, I saw that in an interview with Gail King that she did, where she said she would be on stage in glitz and glamour and the you know had the glitter eyelashes and everything, and then she would go home and not leave the house for three months and not take care of herself and not wash and bathe. I just she would go from one extreme to the other, and that's just part of the depression. I also think that um we're moving away from the phrase committing suicide forgive me if i miss yeah no um it, no no that's fine i mean it's just it's what, a learning what process right now but it's you know that the, they took their life or, or whatever oh, okay. but, but committing suicide has has a, a harder tone absolutely to it. again i, I it's, yeah Well, you know, I should just say, if you or someone you know is in crisis, contact the Suicide Prevention Line, Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255, which is 1-800-273-TALK. 
T-A-L-K. And I'll just or, say, you, you, know, you never know. On on. You, know. you just never know when, you're, when, you're la- when your goodbye is the last goodbye. I hate to be exactly. Boring, you never and, know in any circumstance. With so many of people that we've lost, you know, this year, so many friends that I've lost this year, it's just bang, bang, bang. It's I, every time I saw someone, I was at a party on Friday night, and I we were talking about it, and I said, "Just hug your friends whenever you see yeah. them, because just we have to hold each other tight. Everybody has to just mm-hmm. really help each other through, yep. you know, because we don't know. You don't know what's going to happen and right. what other people are going through." Well said. James, number three. Number three. Number three. This is this is for you, Tom. I'm doing a whole segment for you. Um, I was on Playbill the other day. I was reading some articles on Playbill, and they had a list of uh, plays that are in development, that are touring, that are coming to Broadway, and these things are very, very... First of all, on Broadway right now, I don't know if you've seen, but Sarah Jessica Parker and Matthew Broderick are doing Plaza Suite. I really wanted to see that. One of the most exciting ones that I saw is Devil Wears Prada musical. I don't know if you've heard about this. No. The Devil Wears Prada musical is coming. The book, the the music, all the music has been written by Elton John. Oh. Okay, which guarantees that it's a hit. And the story, the book was written by Paul Rudnick. And if wow. you know Paul Rudnick, he is the funniest man alive, Blake. He wrote Adam's Family Values. He is the he is the script doctor behind Adam's Family First Wives Club. He wrote Sister Act. I mean, he is one of the best people on the planet to write a, a Broadway show. This sounds like a, a clear a slam dunk. There's a Britney Spears jukebox musical coming up called Once Upon a One More Time. And it tells the story of Britney Spears, but also a number of other fairy tale princesses who are out to change the narrative. I don't know what that means, but that sounds like fun. I can't wait to find out. Yes. There's a musical called Sign of the Times that Bruce Valanche wrote. And it's a jukebox musical, and it's set in 1963, Tom. This is right up your alley. It's all Petula Clark downtown. Uh, You don't own me. Don't don't get me started. And the Shoop Shoop song, it's in his kiss. All these are going to be in it. It sounds really fantastic. There's a a musical based on the nanny that Fran Drescher has been working on. Forever and ever. There's a great Gadsby musical coming up that was uh the music was written by Florence Welch from Florence, you know, Florence That sounds really interesting. There's a Some Like It Hot musical coming up, which seems <laughs> right. really fun. With Mark Shaman doing the music. I love Mark Shaman and, and his partner Scott. Right, right, yes. And then there's a Soul Train documentary that Questlove is doing about the life of Don Cornelius. And that sounds really fun. There's also a Flamingo Club. And I also see the (laughs) Endgame. The one that you saw in London is coming to Broadway as well. And I can't wait to see that. I am jumping on a plane literally today to go to New York to take a few days off. And I'm seeing like four theater things. So I'll come back with my uh, review. Are you going to see the Strange Loop? Is that one of them? I'm seeing the Great Loop. I'm seeing a Strange Loop, right? Yeah. I'm seeing um, uh, uh, Funny Girl, and oh. I'm seeing Take Me Out, and and maybe some other things. Which I, I, I just, can't wait to, for you hear about Funny Girl. That it, it is that is our, the controversy of our time. No. All right, moving on. Have a good trip, Tom. Moving on to number two. Number two. I want to talk about Daniel Oster. Daniel Oster is the son, or was the son, I should say, of Paul Oster, the famous New York writer, author of the New York trilogy. And Daniel Oster was in the room when Michael Eilig and Freeze murdered uh, Angel. And, and was, and was never prosecuted. Pardon me? And, and was never charged for the crime. Well, that's right. And recently... Um, Daniel Oster was charged with a crime which involved very tragically the death of his four-month-old daughter who died of an overdose. This is a horrible story, and part of me wonders why I'm even talking about it. But 
he was arrested. Daniel Oster was arrested and then released on bail. And then he was found on the platform of a subway station. And he also died of an overdose. Um, I just read a piece in the New York Post, actually, James, and you were you were in it, quoted quite extensively. Uh, and it seems that in the Party Monster story, Daniel Oster's role was quite extensive. Uh, and he essentially got away with it at that time. Um, but obviously, there's no happy ending to the story because uh, not only did he kill his baby daughter, but he himself died. It's it's a it's a it's a very bleak story, really. Well, but I think it's an important one to tell. Interestingly, um, you know, I was working closely with Dana Kennedy from the New York Post about this when she first contacted me, and I told her about how when I was writing Disco Bloodbath that I was specifically not allowed to mention the fact that Daniel Oster was in the room at the time of the murder because Paul Oster, his father, the novelist, had a a very close relationship with the Brooklyn DA, Robert Morgenthau. And Robert Morgenthau had made a sweetheart deal with Daniel saying that he would only admit to stealing the $3,000 that was in Angel's bag. And that was it. He, he wouldn't even be charged mm-hmm. essentially if he, if he copped to that. Um, I knew Daniel very, very well in the 1990s. He and Michael were boyfriends for years and they were the, they were the couple from hell. I mean, Daniel brought out the worst in Michael. Michael brought out the worst in Daniel. Daniel said one of the first times I met him, he said, I want to be Patrick Bateman. That's who I want to be when I grow up. He was 17 years old. Patrick Bateman was the the character in American Psycho. He wanted to be a psychopathic killer. And that's how he he lived his life. And there was speculation that Daniel was the ringleader behind it. And for whatever reason, Michael and Freeze chose not to implicate him when it happened and i subsequently nobody was ever able to write about it the new york post magazine writes that um the sweetheart deal that paul oster brokered with da morgenthal um is why it never came to light it's a fascinating rabbit hole that you can just go down mm. forever and ever and ever but the tragedy is is that it was his 10 month daughter old daughter not four month oh, um, sorry. that she had um he had done his heroin for the day passed out in bed with the needle and the works and everything with the daughter sleeping next to him and she got into it and died of fentanyl and heroin and it's just disgusting and gross and tragic and the problem is is that now once again we will never have answers as to what happened the night with angel mm-hmm. it's just the story never ever ends and yeah and i mean Paul, it, it, you know, it is james i mean it is it is also the loss of life anyway but especially of a little of a 10 month Old under those circumstances, it's kind of heartbreaking. I mean, Disgusting. it is heartbreaking, Grotesque. and also, um, just what a waste, you know. Just, just bored. It's, it's, a, and and you're right about not being answers. Although, of course, Freeze could, who knows? So, yeah, and and like I said, like very in very short order this past month. We lost Annie mm. Flanders, Marcus Leatherdale, and DJ Howie Pyro, who passed away this week, who was from mm. the Mud Club. And Daniel was a part of the scene for a very long time. Everybody knew Daniel. Everybody he was he was um, like a Michael Ailig type charismatic character, just a beautiful, beautiful boy with a wicked, wicked streak in him. Mm. And uh, he had people who loved him, and it's. The whole story is just creepy and sad, and and yeah. I hope it brings closure to people because it's been such an ongoing. I I don't know. I don't even know where I'm going with that. Right. Moving on. 
we'll take a break. Um, get your tickets to DragCon, May 13th, 14th, 15th, dragcon.com. Friday morning, the party starts with the legendary Queen's Walk. And then there's panels all weekend long. I think there's over 100 queens coming from the States and from all over the world. Um, Rue Paul is DJing on Friday and Saturday. So don't miss what will be the biggest drag con yet. Get your tickets at rupaulsdragcon.com. All right, we're going to take one more break. And when we come back, the number one thing this week that made us go wow. Wow. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report for Radio Andy. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James. We've been counting down the top 10 things that made us go wow. And we've reached number one. Number one. This is just wow worthy. I do not have an immoral equivocation, but you guys heard that uh, Dave Chappelle, while performing at the Hollywood Bowl, an outdoor venue, very highly secured um, for part of the Netflix, Netflix is not a joke comedy festival, was uh, tackled by a a rapper, a 23 year old guy we now know, who had a gun that turned into a knife. It wasn't really a gun, but it was a knife. And um, he, this guy seems a little wackadoodle and, and seems obsessed with Dave Chappelle. And, you know, it's easy to, you know, Dave obviously was in the incredible controversy and being, you know, perceived and, and being judged as being very anti-trans in his last special. And then he sort of stuck to his guns and it's easy to connect the dots. And that's why this happened. I don't think that's why this happened. But in light of the Will Smith, you know, slap uh, of, uh, of uh, Chris Rock, it just feels like a weird, you know, and, and it's happening on planes. It's happening in airports. It's happening everywhere. But fuck, <laughs> I don't know what to make of it. Only to say, wow. If like, you aren't yeah, safe I, I do on think the stage, where are you safe? I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, like, it, it's to a trend. I mean, is that, it, it's just, it's very weird to think that, like, uh, people, it's just that the world is, people are so disturbed and unhappy. Well, here's the thing. The, 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 the stage and the audience is supposed to be a safe boundary. Yes, it's that a you're sacred place. To cross. Yeah. And I do think that Will Smith kind of eroded that safety barrier or yeah. that boundary. And you're right, Tom, who knows if it was because of that, you know? But then yeah. it, it seems like the guy who attacked uh, Dave Chappelle got really damaged yeah. and like had his arm broken. Or his he may have been wrapped up by the security crew mm. who I'm sure were trying to say, I mean, again, I don't know anything, but maybe we're trying to save face because they let this person get so close. And, and, yeah. and you know, good news is Dave Chappelle's fine. We all know that, but, uh, and actually joked it off and kind of kept the show going, but uh I don't wish I don't wish violence upon anyone in that circumstance or anything else, but it is a crazy mother talking time. So come to DragCon and don't hit anybody. I guess that's right. I come to DragCon and then on Sunday, the final day of DragCon, you can see the Wowie Awards. We're gonna have some awards. No one will get slapped. Uh, or maybe like God, God willing, God willing. Yeah. <laughs> And that's the main thing? stage of DragCon. Uh, and you can go vote now on the WOW Report, uh, wowreport.net. Fans can cast their votes uh, once a day. And Who's hosting? Well, I'm glad you asked, James. The gorgeous T.S. Madison will be hosting the Wowies this year on Sunday, May 15th at DragCon. Get all the info and get your tickets to next weekend's DragCon at RuPaul'sDragCon.com. Well, that's all we got time for this week. Thanks for tuning in and listening. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go wow.